Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to our makeshift studio. I'm Rabbi Yisrael Bernach. I'm here with Alex Treyman. Alex Treyman is the CEO of the JNS, the Jewish News Syndicate. We're over, um, we're here actually sitting in Jerusalem in this makeshift car studio. And they have been literally on the front lines of all of the reporting throughout the past two weeks. So I figured, Alex, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on on the ground here? Well, I mean, are you asking about the military situation, the social situation, or the media situation? Well, let's start with the military, because that seems to be the most important, um, I guess, I would say unfortunate, but it's a reality. Oh, absolutely. It's it's very real right now. You know, after what happened on Simchat Torah uh, just two weeks ago, over 1,400 killed, over 200 taken hostage into the Gaza Strip, still more than 200 people uh, suffering serious injuries in, in Israeli hospitals. Uh, Israel has been absolutely pummeling the, the Gaza Strip from the air uh, nonstop for the last couple of weeks. And in addition, they've called up uh, hundreds of thousands of reserves, uh, which are both sealed off and sealing off the Gaza border and staging to go into Gaza for, for an impending ground incursion, which the defense minister said just today could last a period of one, two, three months or more. Uh, uh, and at the same time, at least half reportedly of the soldiers are staged in the north and there's been fighting back and forth uh, along the border with Lebanon between Hezbollah and, and Israel. Uh, people have been killed on both sides of the border. Uh, Hezbollah has been using anti-tank guided missiles to attack Israeli positions and, and firing mortars and sending drones in. Israel has been using drones and attacking from, from the air and using uh, new third generation artillery also to hit inside inside Lebanon and so that border is heating up and it could very well be that uh, Israel finds itself uh, fighting a multi-front battle in the very near future. And what's the morale like here in Jerusalem? Well surprisingly you know the morale well the morale's mixed right there's still a lot of people here that are uh, uncertain how what happened on Simchat Torah could have happened, the intelligence failing, the security breach, why did it take so many hours for security to to arrive, and you know how strong is Israeli leadership, how strong is the military, how prepared right. is the military. But what I think is more important is the, the reports that we're getting from the soldiers and that the morale among soldiers is very, very high. Uh, the feeling that this is what they've been training for, you know, their whole lives, what they've been waiting for. You know, this is a war I think that uh, everybody in Israel knew was coming at some point. They they weren't prepared to start it themselves, but uh, nobody's surprised that this is the situation that we're in. And I think that there's a great uh, desire among uh, the soldiers and, and also the people of Israel to to win the war and to change a lot of the paradigms uh, that had broken down over so many years that led us into this mess that we have now with, with Hamas and Hezbollah. We were just walking around Ben Yehuda. We just literally took a 10 minute walk through Jerusalem. The streets are empty. Why do you think the streets are empty? I mean, I, I guess coming here, to I expected that, but well, I think part of it is because, you know, who's running these establishments, who's keeping them open during during the days and the nights. And these are young adults and a lot of them have been called up to service or people don't realize you were, we're talking as many as half a million 
uh, soldiers, depending on who you ask, anywhere between 360 to half a million. So no one knows the exact number called up, right? Uh, you know, to into act from reserves into active duty right now. So, uh, you know, that doesn't leave a lot of young people to be manning restaurants and, and other things. And, and also a lot of businesses rely also on Arab labor and there's a tremendous tension right now. So, so restaurants and, and other places that uh, that depend on Arab labor, a lot of them are telling their Arab labor not to come in right now. So that's causing all these stores, as you saw, would normally be open. They're, they're closed. Because they're afraid that something will happen? It could be. Uh, the tensions are, are super high right now. I mean, when we were sitting in the restaurant, you heard that they uh, apprehended a terrorist on Agrippa Street right near uh, the Shuk Mahni Yehuda. That's crazy. Uh, I was literally sitting right where they apprehended a terrorist, like maybe 20 minutes before it happened. Exactly. And, and one of the, the major fears, uh, you know, the IDF has also been very active, uh, even as as uh, most recent as last night in, in Samaria, especially just to the north of Jerusalem. The Isra Israeli Air Force jet bombed a mosque last night that was believed to be housing a, a terror entity that was preparing for imminent attack. Uh, and so there's so it was in a mosque. Yes, because Hamas uses mosques, schools hospitals and civilian areas as staging grounds and storage for missiles and, and other weapons and, and they hide there uh, and they actually are hoping that Israel will strike them in order to be able to then uh, play part of the psychological warfare, narrative warfare that they're playing, which is that Israel strikes hospitals, Israel strikes mosques, Israel strikes schools, Israel strikes military targets, and this is a war. And right now, you could be sure that if Hamas is uh, using any of these types of buildings, uh, whether it's civilian infrastructure or school or mosque or hospital as a as housing for their leadership or storage for their for their weapons, that it's going to be bombed by the IDF. There are very, very few media sources that I trust right now. I mean, in Canada, for example, the moment that that hospital was hit, it wasn't even minutes. It took days for our prime minister to put out a, a statement. It took minutes for him to put out a statement that it was Israel's fault. Right. Your media outlet is really one of the few outlets, I would say, right now that is, is highly trustworthy. How are you able to be able to get, you know, how, how is this happening that you're able to get the correct information so quickly and and doing it the way that you're doing it. Well, well, first of all, it's a lot quicker to get wrong information out than it is to get right information. If you saw what happened on that night, and 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 I'll tell you, within minutes of of that strike, that that errant missile, that but uh, you know, by the way, the reports were that the IDF struck a hospital in Gaza and killed. 500 people, right? So it took us days to figure out how many people were killed on October 7th on Simchat Torah. But within seconds, the reports were that Israel struck a hospital and killed 500 people. So as it turned out, not only did the IDF not strike it, but it was an errant Hamas rocket that struck it. And apparently it wasn't 500 people. It didn't even hit the hospital, okay? The rocket hit the parking lot outside the hospital. You could see in any of the, the drone footage that the entire hospital building is still standing. There's some marks on the facade of the building next to the parking lot that demonstrates that there was a, an accident in the parking lot. And that, and that reports are that there probably is not more than 20 people dead, even if that, because this was 1.30 in the morning in the parking lot of a hospital. Um, so how many people could have been there at that time? But of course, within seconds, the entire international media was on the story. Now, we were in touch from the moment that we heard that it could have been 
uh, an errant Hamas rocket. We were in, I was personally in touch with the, the IDF spokesperson's unit uh, and also with the prime minister's office. And I, I was telling them, we need statements from you guys right away confirming that this wasn't uh, this wasn't a missile. There wasn't a, an an IDF strike. And they said, we have to check everything. They had to check. You can imagine how many different units they have from sea, air, ground that could be shooting in, in all kinds of different targets at the same time. They needed to confirm everything. And so to get the truth out actually takes longer than to get out lies because lies can spread in seconds. You know, so I always tell my reporters, you know, the, the only, the, the greatest asset that we have as a news agency is our reputation. And in order to build a reputation, you have to get it right over and over and over and over again. And that that could be hundreds, if not thousands of good decisions taken every single day and every single week. But to ruin your reputation, all it takes is one one mistake. Right. So, you know, we we're not we can't always be the fastest because we have to to verify. But, you know, if you're getting it from JNS, that it's 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 likely to be the, the highest quality level of reporting you can find. I've, I've definitely found that. And that's one of the reasons why um, I'm really happy to be talking to you. We were sitting in the restaurant just now and we saw it's amazing for me to see how positive, how um, I can't even describe it any more than loving and happy and joyous. I mean, there was a birthday party going on right next to us. What's the secret? I mean, I expected to come, at least this is what I have seen so far. I've only been here a few hours, <laughs> but I expected to come to a depressed country. And I thought I was coming to be mechazek, to, to, to lift up. And I'm sure there will be people I'm going to, to visit hospitals. I'm going to visit uh, uh, families that uh, they're, 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 they, they ha they're waiting to hear about news, families that have shivas. So I'm, I'm going to have that. But what I see so far from the average person on the street is a, a certain sense of, of, of happiness that I can't... I, I, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, Jerusalem has been one of the quieter... Uh, cities in terms of all the violence there's been some rocket sirens but no direct hits in the city and uh, you know so life in Jerusalem hasn't been affected as much as those that are in the south of course and and even in the north we have 200,000 displaced Israelis right now who've been forced to evacuate their homes like everybody hears about how many Gazans have been forced to evacuate and Israel 200,000 people are been evacuated from their homes and they're in the last two weeks, we've had we've had fourteen hundred funerals, you know. So, it's it's uh it's a it's a very very sad time. But you know, the thing about Israel and is this the special Israeliness, as people like to call it, is that people here like life. They love life. They celebrate life. They this is a place that's oh so alive all the time with such great spirit and people like to move and to be active and uh you know it's just a, such a stark contrast between hamas and and the palestinian cultures with which literally glorify death in israel we don't we don't glorify death at all we we celebrate life at every moment and this such tremendous resilience of the israeli people to just keep going keep going with life and uh and that's why i think that uh, israel is going to win this war because because they're fighting for life. You just before uh, just said some numbers that I haven't heard in, in, in the media, at least in Canada. Um, are there any other things that I think that are not getting out to the West 
from here that you think are important for people to know of just numbers things things that have happened oh so so many things i mean a from the 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 barbaric nature of the attacks which i'm not even going to go into people Please. have started yes. to see all that um you know how much efforts were taken by organizations like zaka to collect all the the parts of the bodies you know they said that they used more equipment in in four days than they use in in three years uh you know uh in order to do that um the fact that civilians were involved in the attack that there were gazans dressed in civilian clothes that just raced across the border with the with the terrorists that uh you know participated in it um there's there's so many things i mean also the impending normalization agreements that uh israel was working on with the saudis right which would have in a sense effectively ended the greater israeli arab conflict because you would have had the the center of the two holy spots and holy sites in islam saying no we're, we're coming to terms with with the jewish state of israel you know and hamas obviously trying to trying to foil that um, do you think that has something to do with it? Oh, absolutely. It had something to do with it. Uh, you know, they're seeing how the Emirates, Bahrain, now Saudi Arabia, Morocco, ready to normalize relations with Israel. And, and uh, they don't they don't want relations normalized with Israel. They don't want Israel. Um, you know, so, you know, the, these are these are some of the elements. But the, there's a lot of there's a lot of stories that aren't being reported. And that's is there a, a, a story, a narrative that's happened that that hasn't gotten enough attention that you think that people need to know about? Look, the, the strength of the Iron Dome, you know, thousands of missiles. We're talking like 7,000 rockets have been fired at Israel. The fact that Israel can shoot them out of the sky uh, with precision is is just, it's amazing. The fact that even all of the rockets that have gone through, uh, you know, and hit, you know, so there's it's such miracles. Each one of those rockets could kill dozens of people if it would land in the right place at the right time. But we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of divine intervention, even despite uh, the horrific attack on uh, on last Saturday morning on Simchat Torah. There's just been feels like there's a lot of divine protection here, um, and I think the other the other part of it is just it's it's amazing to see around the world. Uh, you know the, this dichotomy of those that are standing up to support the state of Israel and and to celebrate democracy and and freedom and and those in the West also that are just siding with Hamas in this. I mean, it's it's unbelievable how this global jihad has infected Western institutions, particularly the universities, but also parliaments. I mean, the, the U.S. Congress and the you know the the British Parliament, and I assume also in Canada, absolutely experiencing the same thing. Um, you know, the people would side with the jihad against Israel. I mean, it's a uh, it, people don't understand it, and I think that you know, and and this is something that, and I it, it almost. It bothers me because it's being called a war. A war usually needs two sides. This is, I, I, it, I mean, this is my personal opinion. I haven't heard this from, from anyone. But it doesn't make sense to me this is a war. This is something that nobody wanted this. I've spoken to, to reservists, uh, a, a few, two American reservists that I've been with for a few hours who came here from the U.S. because they were called from the U.S. Israel paid their ticket to come back to because they needed them. And... War seems to be like two sides. There's no two sides here. We'll be back after a quick break. 
Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. Well, this is, there is two sides in this war. There's the side of good and there's the side of evil. And the side of evil, Hamas, they started this war on their terms. But this war is not going to end on their terms. This war is going to end on Israel's terms. When Israel decides that it's over and when Hamas has either come out waving a white flag or all their senior leadership is dead and all of their military capacity and motivation to commit an attack is completely eradicated. Well, this is this is a war and Israel is going to fight, is fighting hard, and is going to fight to win. Yes. And what I'm trying to say is that when you're dealing with barbaric attacks, which means war, there's, there's rules of war and war. Sure. There's certain things you do and don't do. This is everything that I've heard and everything that I've seen over the past two weeks. There's no rules of war here. I'm not saying on the Israel side, on the Hamas side. Yeah, Israel follows rules that it, it shouldn't even be asked to follow, to follow, set up humanitarian aid for Hamas. Are you kidding me? How about there can be humanitarian aid when all the hostages are returned? You know, but these are these are some of the double standards that are being forced on Israel to adhere to to laws and to rules that should, that no other no other party would adhere to. But this is this is an asymmetric war. This is a state with a military that is fighting a terror entity that that mixes in, hides behind civilians, right? That you don't know the difference between a militant and a civilian. Uh, and that, you know, does has no problems to, to kidnap children and elderly and sick. And this, these are, this is who we're dealing with. And that's exactly why, uh, you know, Israel has no choice but, but to win because as long as Hamas and other terror organizations think that they can get away with playing an asymmetric game, you know, the, the Jewish people around the world are going to be at risk. Around the world. Yeah. This is a global jihad. You know, there's, it's not just Hamas. It's not just Hezbollah to Israel's north. There's, there's a whole ring of fire around Israel. Most of, you know, Iranian funded proxies like the Houthi in Yemen. And there's proxies in Iraq and in Syria as well. And we heard that the Iraqis are going to be coming through Jordan, potentially. You have the Iranian revolutionary guards there as well. But like I said, the, the, the this global jihad has infected western thinking as well and you have the universities and the media uh, and and world parliaments and the united nations all working to bolster hamas and the palestinian people and to delegitimize demonize israel and hold israel to gross double standards so you know it's in a way it really is it really is erupting as as a, a world war wow Let's talk about the hostages a second. What do you know about them? Well, we don't know too much about them. I mean, the number of the hostages continues to go up. I mean, right now, I, I believe that they're saying it's 212 
hostages that are known, but there are still hundreds of people missing because Israel hasn't been able to identify all those who are dead. And it's they're trying to find out and they've, they've done some uh, light incursions into into Gaza and the border areas and they're finding they're finding Jews dead on inside the Gaza border fence on the on the Gaza side. So, you know, you don't know who's alive and who's dead, but they know that at least 212 are, are being held hostage. Uh, we saw we saw a, a film of one of the hostages saying, you know, that she's injured, but Hamas is taking such good care of her and treating her well, and she hopes to come home soon. This is all part of the psychological warfare game. I I imagine that Israel does have some good intelligence on where many of the hostages are, but they're not going to let that be known because if that becomes known, then hostages could be moved and then the intelligence becomes moved. So there, it's been very uh, hush on, on what's been happening with the hostages. But of course, this is the part that tears at the hearts and souls of Israelis more than anything else. Absolutely. To know that their loved ones are, are you know, kidnapped and, and being tortured in, in the Gaza Strip by barbarians. Right. I mean, I, there was two women uh, from the U.S. that were released before Shabbat, and one of them uh, we've seen we've seen a picture for the other one we we haven't, and I'm, I'm assuming that there's there's reason for that. I don't I, know. I think we've seen pictures of both of them. Okay. I think I think okay. I've seen both. Um, yes. Yeah, so, but those are those are Americans. They live in America, and that's right. why uh, you see that Hamas. You know, why did they release two? Because they they are hoping that by releasing two that they give America the impression that they will be willing to release more and, and they can do a soul drip and, and try to prevent, uh, have the United States prevent Israel from going in uh, with the ground incursion. And, and even though I will tell you for certain that getting back as many hostages as possible is one of the primary military objectives of the IDF in this conflict, but what is an even greater objective is making sure that Hamas never has the capacity to take a single hostage again. Absolutely. That's much more important. Let's talk about the ground invasion. We have in the West been hearing every single day. There are people who are watching their news literally on loop waiting for this ground invasion. It hasn't happened. It's been every day. It's today. It's today. It's today. What do we know about it? Right well, Israel's certainly trying to keep everybody guessing, especially the Hamas operatives in Gaza. They want them hold up as long as possible, you know, with their run to run out of food, to run out of uh, supplies. Um, you know, in the beginning, there were, it was very hard. Israel found it very difficult to mobilize hundreds of thousands of troops in a moment's notice and to get them all uh, weapons, protective gear, um and so it took a few days to work that all out. Uh, you know, Israel's put pretty sophisticated battle plans into place, um, which took time to disseminate. Uh, commanders were flown over the Gaza Strip in, in choppers to see the territory in advance of going in so they could see it for themselves. Uh, and also you could imagine that a lot of these reservists that might be working in high tech or might have put on 10 pounds or whatever <laughs> it is, you know, they hadn't done intensive combat training in, in a long time. And so actually what's been taking place in the last uh, week or so has been intensive combat training, you know, together with the, the battle preparations. Um, and it's it's widely understood that the Gaza Strip is going to be a highly booby-trapped and difficult urban fighting environment. And so you don't want to send Israeli soldiers in. Uh, until you're very sure of exactly what you're doing, what the objectives are, how do you do it, who are you targeting? Uh, because 
I think the one thing that could sap morale more than anything in this country would be to be sending thousands of troops in and to not have thousands of troops come home. So, uh, you know, that's the difference between the Israeli soldier and the Hamas terrorist is that the Hamas terrorist, if he dies trying to murder Jews, that's the greatest glory. And, and that person will be glorified in the society. And in Israel, we value the life of every soldier. We don't want to lose even a single one. And that's really the difference between the two societies. You've given me so much time. I have one last question. There is a feeling amongst a lot of people in my community, I've heard this from a lot of people in Canada and the US, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. There's this really huge feeling. What do you think the, um, we can do right now to support? Yeah, you know, people keep asking me that question. Yeah, I just tell you from, from myself, you know, we, we run a media platform, JNS.org. Uh, and we've been, we've been, you know, publishing nonstop, but I said, we, I have to do more. So we immediately started reaching out to other media outlets and I've done personally more than 50 interviews with, with mainstream media and my colleagues also together, we've done probably 120 different, different media outlets. And I, I really think that everybody needs to look for themselves and what they can do, like Pick what you, figure out what you can do. For some people, that's supporting a good cause. You know, for other people, it's uh, organizing uh, equipment. For other people, it's organizing missions. But I'll tell you even more than that. I, I think that, I think that, you know, in the last period, the Jewish people have suffered from, uh, you know, lapsed judgment with regard to Jewish unity. Uh, I think that there's been a tremendous amount of disunity between religious and secular, between right wing and left wing. Everybody looking for different distinctions is why the other Jew is not the same like me. Uh, and, you know, these are the reasons why we disagree instead of looking for all of the commonalities and the reasons why it's OK that the Jewish people are uh, are a nation of tribes, 12 tribes with different ideologies, different uh, different genetic backgrounds that all sit together. Uh, as one and that's when God is the most happy with us. So I think that it's very important for people to to try to do some repair as we call it, tikkun, a fix for that disunity to come together as a people to to support one another to to mend some of the rifts. Um, and the other thing I think is really to step up for Israel and what we call the Hasbara perspective to to be getting the truth out there to be combating the misinformation. Uh, to be calling out the, the lies and the biases, um, and also to be putting out a lot of positive energy right now that Israel is going to win. Because I really do believe that Israel is going to win, but you have to put that energy out into the world. This is much a spiritual battle as a physical one. And, and so anything that people can do to, to just give over in some way some positive energy, I think it, it really helps. Thank you, Alex. Thank you very much for your time. And uh, for those of you who didn't hear that, it's JNS.org. I'm going to post all of the links. And uh, right now, from what Alex is telling me, they um, have been working absolutely over time. This has really uh, pushed them a little further than they've ever imagined. Thank God. And they need a little parachute. So uh, I'm looking at uh, you to be able to help them out. They are a nonprofit organization. More, more than a I wouldn't call it a parachute. I'd call it some rocket fuel. We need to we need to go further and, and faster than we've been going. Um, you know, but but if not, we'll we'll be here. We're going to keep going. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. 
I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode. <music> 